Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 48 of They Walk Among Us. A podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 4, Episode 47 for Part 1 of this two-part case. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Terence Wall was on trial for murder. The prosecutor at Mould Crown Court told the jury that the defendant had shot his victim with a crossbow. The arrowheads used in the attack were designed for hunting animals, razor sharp to sever a prey's arteries. Wool denied he was involved, at first telling police he was at home when the attack took place. But when presented with the data from his mobile phone and GPS records of his partner's car, which only he had access to at the time, Wall changed his story. He admitted that he was in a field next to Gerald Corrigan's home when the attack took place, though claimed it could not have been him because he was with someone else. (laughs) 
During his interrogation, Terence Wall told the police that he was having an affair. The person Wall claimed he was with was his friend Barry Williams, who had also been questioned by detectives in relation to the murder. Wall said the two had travelled to Porth Davock Beach, taking a walk across the coastal path in the late hours of April 18th, where they were looking for a place to have sex. This was why Wall's partner's car was near the location of the crime. He said the boot was open to retrieve some baby lotion, handcuffs, a sex aid and gloves. During the confession to prove he was telling the truth, Wall professed that he had taken a pair of latex gloves with him that night and inadvertently left them on the beach. Wall said that these gloves could have semen traces on them, although as it had rained since, this might have washed off any traces of the fluid. Prosecutor Peter Rouch QC would tell jurors at Mould Crown Court that Wall's admission was interesting because it showed Wall was forensically aware enough to wear latex gloves to a crime scene and this could conceal any traces of his DNA. As the evidence was mounting against Terence Wall, the prosecution presented another witness to the court. Terence Wall's friend Barry, more formerly known as Thomas Barry Williams. He gave evidence from behind a screen. Barry Williams knew Terence Wall. The pair had met a number of years earlier and slowly became friends. After a period of time, they began to see less and less of each other, as Barry Williams had met his partner Susie Holmes in September 2018. Williams told the court that he had never been in a physical relationship with Terence Wall, certainly not on the night in question. From the stand, Williams stated that he had only come to learn of Wall's claims two weeks before the trial. He said he was with his mother and sister in Newborough on the night Gerald Corrigan was shot, leaving home shortly before 10 o'clock and returning at 2am. He told the court that he had previously left his wallet at the address, so went to collect it. On April 18th, 2019, he left his home at 9.50pm to drop off his partner at her job as a home carer. He then met his cannabis dealer in a lay-by on Anglesey before driving to his mother's. Both his mother and sister testified that to be the case with Williams arriving sometime around quarter past 11 or soon after. He stayed till 1am then travelled to Thlanwyn Beach where he remained for an hour before driving home. However, his movements could not be verified entirely as Williams said that he had broken his mobile phone that very evening. Under cross-examination, it was revealed that Williams did not find out about Terence Wall's claims about the pair having sex two weeks before the trial, but he had learned this information in the summer of the previous year. Williams used the same solicitor as Wall, and during that meeting, Williams told the court that he was asked to lie and say that he was with his friend having sex. He testified that along with being told of the location where the two were meant to have had intercourse, he was handed a bag which contained baby lotion, lubricant and a penis ring. 
In a conversation with Wall before the visit, Williams said that his then-friend had told him he needed an alibi, but he didn't say what for. David Elias QC, Terence Wall's counsel, questioned why Williams did not deem the suggestion allegedly made by Wall's solicitors as outrageous and untrue when it was apparently proposed. Barry Williams at first refused to answer the question, but when he was pressed, he said that he was not sure. Elias disputed the facts put forward by Barry Williams, saying he was lying about visiting his mother and sister. This stemmed from the fact that Williams was in communication with Terence Wall during the afternoon and evening of April 18th. Then his mobile phone could not be traced between the hours of 10.26pm on Thursday, April 18th and 1am on April 19th. It stopped working or had been turned off, possibly put on airplane mode so its movements could not be tracked. Wall tried to call the number multiple times after 1am, but the calls were forwarded to an answer phone. Defence counsel for Wall said that a text message was sent from the device just after midday on April 19th, proving the device was active. However, within half an hour a new phone was using the SIM card. Wall had been the most frequent contact on the device that was in constant use for two years. Another interesting point raised by the defence was Barry Williams did not want to sign a witness statement on June 29, 2019, telling officers he wanted to check with others to confirm his whereabouts. This information, along with the videos that Wall had loaded on YouTube which featured the pair wrestling, were used by Wall's defence counsel to suggest the two were having a relationship. Williams denied this and insisted the correspondence between the two of them had nothing to do with meeting up that night. Susie Holmes, Barry Williams' partner, would later testify via video link about her relationship and the argument that led to Williams' phone being damaged. She remembered him having the device on April 18th, 2019, However, following an argument the pair had about the number of hours she worked in her carer's job, Williams became agitated and threw his phone in a tantrum, resulting in the device becoming damaged. It was put to the witness by David Elias QC that perhaps she had been asked by Barry Williams to lie about his whereabouts. She had not mentioned the damage to Williams' phone during her police interview during the summer of 2019 something she admitted was out of the ordinary, something that should have been mentioned. Susie Holmes could not recall why she did not mention it, but denied that she was asked to cover up anything. I have not had a conversation with Barry about his phone, and he has not asked me to say anything, she said. The witness told the court that on the night of April 18th, her partner dropped her off, and picked her up the next day around 8am. Susie Holmes was asked by Wall's defence counsel if she had ever been to either the property where Gerald Corrigan lived or the beach close by. She said she had not. 
Elias then went on to ask about Barry Williams' relationship with Terence Wall. He highlighted that Susie worked long hours, and Wall and Williams often spent a good deal of time in each other's company, going for walks together. The witness said her partner never kept his friendship a secret. She'd only ever met Wall once, although she had seen videos of him and her boyfriend sparring on YouTube. Terence Wall's co-defendant Gavin Jones was facing charges of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and conspiracy to commit arson. The prosecution brought forward several witnesses who testified that they had seen both defendants in possession of a crossbow. Anna and Carl Salmon moved to a property in Bringoran during 2017. Their next-door neighbour Gavin Jones struck up a conversation in the summer of 2018. During their discussion, he told Hannah Salmon that he owned a crossbow. Insistent to show off the weapon to his neighbour, Jones went indoors and returned with a large item wrapped in a plastic bag. Hannah Salmon told the court, I didn't know what to think at the time. The witness said that she may have seen the device in the kitchen of Jones's home the following year, but could not be certain. Her husband, Carl Salmon, testified that although he had not seen his neighbour in possession of a crossbow, he had a conversation with his wife at the beginning of 2019 and recalled Hannah mentioning that their neighbour owned one. As the conversation was so out of the ordinary, it was something that had stuck in his mind. Around that same period, Russell Godwin had travelled to his sports therapist. He noticed Terence Wall outside with his son using a crossbow. Godwin was offered the opportunity to fire the weapon. They were shooting arrows into a hay bale. Russell Godwin knew Terence Wall as he had been treated by him for a number of years following a knee injury. There were several locations where he received treatment one of which was at Wall's home in Bringoran on Anglesey. During one of these appointments, he saw Wall with the crossbow, a weapon Russell Godwin described as big and black. The witness told the court that he required some assistance when using it. There was an incredible amount of tension on the wire, which was fixed to a wooden frame. You had to stand on it to pull it back to cock it, Godwin said. The incident took place during February 2019, and two months later, the same month that Gerald Corrigan was shot with a crossbow, Russell Godwin was told by Wall that he would no longer be able to treat his patient as he was unable to walk due to a problem with his knee. The witness did not see Wall in person, so he could not verify if this was the case. Further evidence from the prosecution came in the form of transcripts produced when Terence Wall was being interviewed by the police at the start of summer 2019. Wall first said, I don't really understand how I'm involved in it. He offered his whereabouts on the nights leading up to the incident and openly admitted that he had an interest in crossbows. Wall acknowledged that he was in possession of two mobile phones at the time. One device was an iPhone which was confiscated by the police. 
The other had cost only £10 for a Mazda, which was disposed of only a short time after April 19th. However, he retained the number and transferred it to another SIM card so it could be used in a different device. Wald said his iPhone had not been working properly. The iPhone either stopped working or was turned off just over half an hour after it is believed that Gerald Corrigan was hit with a broadhead arrow. The other cheaper phone was then used from 1.10am onwards. Wald told the police he had used the cheaper mobile phone to contact Barry Williams, three times in all if Wald's account was to be believed. Wald claimed that he wanted to tell Williams they had to end their alleged secret relationship. He also declared that upon learning that Gerald Corrigan had been killed, it was agreed that neither Wall or Williams would voluntarily provide information to the police about their whereabouts that night, as they were so close to the scene. That's why in his first interviews he was not honest about what he was doing and who he was with. Wall went on to say that he knew the evidence of his mobile phone and his partner's Land Rover discovery did not look good however made the point that the car wasn't travelling excessively and sat idle before it made the journey. I wouldn't sit in my car for so long if I'd shot someone with a crossbow, he said. When the crossbow Wall had ordered in April came up, he told the police that it was never used, but had been taken out of its packaging. Wall said he knew about the crossbow killing, so made sure he did not fire the weapon. He also claimed that the bolts he had purchased which matched the ones used to end the life of Gerald Corrigan were discarded as he no longer wanted to hunt with them. Wall had only ordered them to compare them to ones he had used in the past. It was all just a coincidence. Speaking about who was ultimately responsible for taking the life of Gerald Corrigan, Wall told the police, whoever had anything to gain out of his death, it wasn't me. Terence Wall was asked about his co-defendants. He mentioned that Gavin Jones had also grown cannabis at Gov D. He said that Richard Wynne Lewis, a person that Gerald Corrigan's partner had alleged was involved in a quote fraud, had something to do with it. Wall referred to Lewis during this conversation as a fat arsehole. In the police interviews, when talking about money that Lewis had reportedly received from Gerald Corrigan, Wall said, He conned the guy out of money, somewhere around £250,000 to £400,000. Wall told police that his co-defendant Gavin Jones had informed him about a conversation between Jones and Richard Wynne Lewis, in which Lewis had said he had managed to get £400,000, quote, out of the bloke that was shot. Gavin Jones had worked for Richard Wynne Lewis, although apparently had not been paid. Jones had also lent Lewis £12,000, although he had failed to get the money back. This led to some bad blood between the two men, and on one occasion the police were called at the end of May 2019, following an argument between them. Terence Wall was with Gavin Jones when the incident occurred. When asked in the interview if he had any business dealings with Richard Wynne Lewis, Terence Wall denied he did, 
telling officers if his movements tracked by his mobile phone suggested he may have been in the vicinity of Lewis's home. This was purely coincidental. However, after being continually questioned, he eventually admitted that it might be possible he may have driven by the home of Lewis when travelling with Gavin Jones. He was there when the argument between Jones and Lewis broke out. The investigation to track down Gerald Corrigan's killer was extensive. There were five and a half thousand pieces of documentation relating to the incident. Police also reviewed countless hours of CCTV footage captured from Blackthorn Farm, a property some distance away from Gov D. Vehicles could be seen travelling to and from the location, including the crew of the Welsh Ambulance Service. While the owners of some cars were traced, not every vehicle could be identified. Detective Chief Inspector Brian Kearney, who led the murder inquiry, told jurors at Mould Crown Court there had been several avenues of investigation, one of which being the vehicles that drove to Gov D, an area that he admitted he had trouble finding, in spite of knowing the area well. Another line of inquiry was locating where the killer had purchased the arrows used in the murder. Police discovered several websites that sold the same broadhead and bolts. These included eBay and Amazon. However, in spite of searching the local car boots and shops on Anglesey, detectives had at first come up empty-handed when trying to pin down where the arrows had been purchased. It was then they were contacted by the director of Outdoor Hobbies Limited and the connection to Terence Wall was made. As the defence put forward its case during the fourth week of the trial, the man accused of murdering Gerald Corrigan took the stand. Terence Wall was asked if he was responsible. He said he was not. He said he was not in any financial difficulty as claimed by the prosecution, as his partner was paying the bills after a substantial divorce settlement. Although he was close to the home of the victim, he said he was there with Barry Williams. Explaining why he lied initially, all told the court, What I do with my sexual life is my private business, and nothing to do with North Wales Police or the Sun newspaper or everyone else. There's nobody knows the gravity of this situation more than me. I've had my name dragged through the papers. He added, I didn't really want to admit I'd been there with Barry. I didn't think they had the right to know. I was with Emma and didn't want to harm the relationship. My reputation would be damaged. My children go to school locally and my business too. It wasn't until, in his words, he had no choice that he told the police the truth. Wall said that he had met Williams in 2012. At first, they had been good friends. Williams had a back problem, but after that, Wall said they just got closer. Their relationship blossomed, or so Wall claimed. The defendant stated the pair had been in a sexual relationship from 2015 onwards. They had slept together around eight times in the lead-up to 2019. 
We were on Hollyhead Mountain. It was quite secluded, he said. It started outdoors and it was just the way we liked it. We never did it once indoors. We had really similar things going on in our lives, with ex-wives and our children being used as weapons against us. We both had had enough of women in our lives, not being sexist. Wall claimed that he instigated the alleged meeting between the pair on April 18th. He testified that he was having a hard time. He said that he contacted Williams and drove to meet him in his partner's car. After which they travelled to Porth Davock Beach and on foot walked the coastal path to a field next to Gerald Corrigan's home. Will also professed that he had driven to both Gov D and the beach the previous night as he needed to meditate. He said, quote, I had stuff on my mind and needed fresh air. I was just thinking about Barry and I and whether we could go there. During the supposed encounter, Wall told jurors a number of items were used which he carried in a bag. These included latex gloves, one of which had been left near the scene, something Wall had previously told the police. The pair apparently picked that spot because Wall believed Gov D was empty and that location seemed deserted. During cross-examination, Terence Wall was asked why Barry Williams did not support his account of that night. Wall replied, I understand his girlfriend is pregnant. She is five weeks away from giving birth. Maybe he is scared. I don't know. Prosecutor Peter Rouch QC said it was interesting that someone who was fascinated by crossbows and had owned the same equipment as Wall was in the field at the very same time that Gerald Corrigan was shot with a broadhead arrow. Wool was asked about the types of weapons he had owned. He said at first he wanted to get bows and arrows for his children, rather than them be inside on their computers. Wool testified that the first crossbow he purchased was clumsy, a device he bought over the internet for £350. According to the defendant, the weapon couldn't shoot straight. He claimed this was sold to a stranger for £180 during the start of 2019. That year, he admitted to purchasing two crossbows, the second being the Excalibur crossbow ordered through Outdoor Hobbies Limited, arriving at his address on April 23rd. The second was ordered the month before, and he described this as a handheld crossbow similar to a tactical pistol. Wool said it was a bit boring and claimed it was more suited as a children's weapon. This device was not in his possession over the Good Friday weekend. Although he was apparently no longer in possession of a crossbow, describing the one he had sold as the big black one, he did own the same model of arrowheads and 20-inch shafts or bolts used in the killing. Wool said these were ordered in anticipation for the new crossbow turning up. The prosecutor put it to Wall that he had not sold the other crossbow, and the bag he took with him was not full of sex aids. It contained the crossbow used to kill Gerald Corrigan. Wall denied this to be the case. As Wall talked, he spoke about the other evidence against him, namely his iPhone 
and he admitted on the stand that he smashed it. He claimed it contained sensitive photos of him with Barry Williams and he just wanted their alleged relationship to stop. The prosecution was insistent that Terence Wall was lying. Peter Rouch QC tried to poke holes in Wall's story, highlighting the data of the Land Rover's movements on April 17, 2019, the night before the killing. It was claimed that Wall was stalking the property, so he knew what to expect the following night. But the prosecutor told the defendant that even if it were not true, there was still evidence of him stalking someone else's property. Richard Wynne Lewis. Peter Rouch QC informed the court that Wall had placed a tracking device on a vehicle that Richard Wynne Lewis was driving during May 2019. Wall travelled to Lewis's home several times during the dead of night in the weeks leading up to May 31st, when police were called following an altercation between Lewis and Gavin Jones, Wall's co-defendant. This was confirmed when an analyst working for the police interrogated Terence Wall's iPhone, which was seized on May 31st. A device fitted to Richard Wynne Lewis's vehicle had been transmitting its coordinates since May 18th. This wasn't something the defendant denied, agreeing that he did plant the tracking device. However, Wall said this was to ensure the car wasn't taken out of the country, as it belonged to someone else. The prosecutor again highlighted Wall's connection to Richard Wynne Lewis someone he had previously claimed he did not know. Describing Lewis, Wall said, He's a con artist. He preys on the elderly. When testifying, Terence Wall said the reason behind his co-defendant's unhappiness with Richard Wynne Lewis was money. Money that Gavin Jones was apparently owed for some manual labour work. While he admitted he had seen Richard Wynne Lewis, Wall said he had never had any communication with him and no financial dealings, before calling Lewis a fat tramp. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. 
Wondery and Law and Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With the trial entering its final phase, jurors at Mould Crown Court heard the closing arguments by the prosecution and defence. Co-defendants Gavin Jones and Terence Wall still denied the charges against them. Darren Jones, Gavin's brother and Martin Roberts had admitted to a charge of arson concerning the burning of Wall's partner's Land Rover found in a disused quarry in Llanlicket. James Tilbury, acting for Gavin Jones, an individual whose name had been mentioned far less than his co-defendant, told the court that there was no evidence linking his client to the arson. James Tilbury said, We don't have any witnesses saying they saw him being involved. We don't have any shared texts with incriminating content on. For example, no emails, no WhatsApps, certainly no admission by him in his interview that he may have been involved. There was a very adamant denial. 100% not involved is what he said. Any calls said to have taken place around the time of the arson had nothing to do with burning anything. It was merely a coincidence that when police arrived at Gavin Jones's property, they found empty canisters and smelled petrol. His client was in no way responsible. Gavin Jones's home was heated using oil, and a pipe at the property was leaking, which was why police might have been greeted by the strong smell of an accelerant. Acting on behalf of Terence Wall, David Elias QC told the court that there was not a shred of forensic evidence that tied his client to the crime, and there was no motive either. Everyone must accept what happened to Gerald Corrigan was horrific and a heinous act, but the reason why it happened, it is entirely unclear, he stated. Elias went on to say that there had been vehicles that were spotted near the victim's home on CCTV around the time of the incident that had still not been identified. Following his client's initial admission, Wall's story had never changed. Elias claimed that some of the evidence presented proved that Barry Williams and Terence Wall had met that night. David Elias QC highlighted that Barry Williams had even requested a break during the proceedings as he was overwhelmed because of, quote, all that was going on between me and Terry. Elias also made the point that his client's alleged actions would only draw attention to him if they happened the way the prosecution were suggesting, 
the purchase of the crossbow which was delivered to his home after the killing, and the burning of a car he had travelled in. Have the prosecution made you sure of Terence Wall's guilt? The barrister asked the jury. Acting for the Crown, Peter Rouch QC spoke about who Terence Wall was and how he matched the profile of someone who would take a life. The killer knew what he was doing, Rouch said. The prosecutor highlighted that Wall was familiar with the area where the victim had lived. He had travelled there the day before the shooting. He knew his way around a crossbow and had detailed knowledge of how to load and fire the device. Wall had ordered and had access to the arrows used in the attack. He was also in the vicinity of the area when the incident took place. Whoever loaded the crossbow with that broadhead knew precisely what they wanted to do, to kill Mr Corrigan in the most brutal way possible, the prosecutor said. Why he was shot, we may never know. Peter Rouch QC mentioned that money had been discussed during the trial. Gavin Jones was owed money by Richard Wynne Lewis, the individual that Wall had sought to monitor. Putting a tracker on someone's vehicle in the dead of night is fairly extreme behaviour, the prosecutor said. Also, there was the money that Gerald Corrigan and Marie Bailey had lost due to what was labelled in the trial as a fraud. Richard Wynne Lewis's name was mentioned. The prosecutor said, What we do know is this incident between the three of them revolved around money. Money that they, Gavin Jones and Terence Wall wanted from Wynne Lewis. Wynne Lewis, the man who had apparently conned Marie Bailey and Gerald Corrigan out of a large sum of money. The suggestion being and being told by Marie Bailey. It was all part of a fraud being perpetrated by Wynne Lewis upon them. Touching on the point that David Elias QC mentioned surrounding a lack of motive, Peter Rouch QC told the jury that the prosecution did not have to prove motive, only present the evidence as to who committed the crime. He went on to say, If it were not for the telematics, if it were not for the fact there was that black box in the Land Rover, which not just recorded information but sent it off to Jaguar Land Rover where it was retained and then deciphered, Mr. Wall would have got away with his lies. As the judge, Justice Neris Jefford, took the jury back over the evidence presented, she told them she wanted unanimous verdicts and they should take their time given the seriousness of the charges. The judge also said that just because Terence Wall lied about where he was, that did not make him a murderer. And even if Gavin Jones did not testify in his own defence, that does not mean he is guilty. When addressing some of the more confusing details of the case and inconsistencies in some of the information presented, the judge said to the jury, You are the judges of the facts, not me. On Monday, February 24th, 2020, after a five-week trial, the verdicts were handed down. There were no eyewitnesses who saw Terence Wall arrive at the scene 
or commit the crime, and no forensic evidence against him. But Wall was found guilty of murder by a unanimous verdict. For taking the life of Gerald Corrigan in the early hours of Good Friday 2019, Wall would be facing a life sentence. However, it was down to the judge, Justice Neris Jefford, to decide how long Wall was going to spend behind bars. Terence Wall was also found guilty of a charge of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. Gavin Jones faced two charges, conspiracy to commit arson and conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. His brother Darren and friend Martin Roberts changed their pleas, admitting their guilt only a few days into the trial. The jury found Gavin Jones guilty of conspiring to burn out the vehicle Wall was travelling in, planning to lay waste to the evidence which would tie the shooter to the crime. The four men would learn their fate at the end of the week. Surrounded by a room full of reporters, sat with Gerald Corrigan's family, Detective Chief Inspector Brian Kearney gave a statement. In short, this was a planned, premeditated execution from a cold-blooded killer. A killer who has shown no remorse throughout this trial. I would like to thank all those who supported the investigation. The jury has heard from many of them. But in such a large inquiry with numerous statements, crime scenes, exhibits and over five and a half thousand documents, there are truly too many to thank. Marie Bailey wrote about her partner Gerald Corrigan, with her words being read by a family liaison officer. Jerry was my partner in life, my best friend. He meant the world to me, she said. Every day I am faced with the reality of no Jerry Corrigan in my life anymore. Each day my heart is broken. I feel it breaking again and I can do nothing. To that sad twisted, broken soul who murdered him, I say if you have an ounce of humanity, any sense of decency, then you would tell us now why you have done this. Speaking about the weapon that took her father's life, Fiona Corrigan stated, The injuries caused by a crossbow are not designed just to kill. They are designed to mutilate. The particular weapon is designed for hunting to bring down game. And that is what my dad became. Pray. We may never know why. Friday, February 28th, 2020. During mitigation, Terence Wall's defence counsel argued that his client had few criminal convictions. David Elias QC also believed that the weapon used to end Gerald Corrigan's life was not technically a firearm, therefore sentencing should be handed down accordingly. However, Elias stressed that none of the points he raised should detract from the suffering of the victim's family. Although an exact motive could not be identified, the prosecution offered the opinion that based on the evidence... Before his death, Gerald Corrigan was going to the police to report that he was a victim of fraud. This tied to Wall's actions of purchasing the shafts and broadheads 
along with him being spotted carrying out target practice and driving to the location the night before the murder, suggested that money may have been the reason the killing was carried out. Before sentencing, the judge addressed Terence Wall and the speculation surrounding the motive. She stated, It is submitted that this murder was committed for gain. I am unable to accept this submission. You were in debt, but the proposition that you were paid to commit this murder or expected some other gain from it is speculation. Not baseless speculation, but speculation nonetheless. It is further submitted that this murder was committed to obstruct the progress of the fraud allegations which Mr. Corrigan had made. Again, this is speculation. Justice Neris Jefford spoke about the crossbow and told Wall, You know well they were for hunting animals and designed to kill. You have deprived Mr. Corrigan's family of any explanation for what was a horrific death in which Mr. Corrigan was completely blameless. For your own reasons, you clearly had a plan to kill. The judge said there were no mitigating factors. She described the crime as vicious and spoke of how Gerald Corrigan's family had to watch on, as in the words of a clinician, his insides were disintegrating. Speaking about the toll the experience took on Marie Bailey, the judge went on to say, The impact on her life has been immeasurable. She has lost her home, her career, her best friend and her love. Mr Corrigan's children also had to watch their father die a slow and painful death. A man who murdered a retired lecturer with a crossbow has been jailed for at least 31 years. Gerald Corrigan was shot in the stomach while he fixed a satellite dish on the roof of his home in Anglesey in Wales. His killer, Terence Wall, offered no explanation for the murder, which the judge said would have required a very significant degree of planning. Along with his sentence for murder, Terence Wall would face six years in prison for conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. The sentences would be served concurrently. DCI Brian Kearney spoke about Wall's crimes and how the case was solved. This was a complex murder investigation supported by numerous experts and professionals and a very dedicated investigation team. I wish to reiterate my thanks to our community of local people, tourists and businesses who came forward to give us the evidence to secure these convictions. In a modern era, we solve crimes together with you. How the other defendants, Martin Roberts, along with Darren and Gavin Jones, had helped Terence Wall, was also revealed to the court. On June 3, 2019, Wall took his partner to the dentist in the afternoon. Her car was left unattended, allowing the vehicle to be stolen. When Wall and his partner were contacted by the police, he offered the officers both sets of keys as a way to distance himself from the theft. Following forensic analysis of the fire, North Wales police were able to tell that an accelerant was used. Through the use of cell tower analysis, they confirmed the defendant's movements and communication. 
using number plate recognition cameras, police identified that just after midday, the Land Rover Discovery, a silver Toyota Corolla belonging to Gavin Jones, and a black Mini owned by Martin Roberts' partner, were spotted heading in the same direction. It was believed the Land Rover was destroyed sometime around 1.30pm as the emergency call button was activated. The Crown submitted that Darren Jones was travelling in the Land Rover as his DNA was found on one of the smart keys. He was then transported from the scene in the Mini driven by Martin Roberts. Jones had at first said that his DNA was on the key as Waller dropped it and he had picked it up. Something that could not be revealed during the trial was the fact that each of the defendants had a criminal record. Darren Jones, who pleaded guilty to a charge of arson, had almost 20 convictions for possession of illegal substances and theft. While his defence counsel told the judge that Jones was remorseful and was at the time using drugs without any structure in his personal life, the judge reminded Jones that he had not learned from his past convictions and did not comply with previous court orders. Darren Jones was sentenced to 34 months. His brother Gavin, who was found guilty of conspiracy to pervert the course of justice and arson of a motor vehicle, had several previous convictions for motoring offences and possession of controlled drugs. He was facing a sentence of five years behind bars. Martin Roberts, who along with Darren Jones had pleaded guilty to a charge of arson during the trial, previously had over a dozen convictions that included taking a motor vehicle without consent. His defence counsel submitted that their client was unaware that the Land Rover was used in a murder and believed the vehicle was being destroyed as part of a bogus insurance claim made by a relative of Darren Jones. Although Martin Roberts had been involved in some minor criminal activity in the past, it was put forward by his counsel that Roberts had a network of family and friends who could support him after his release. Martin Roberts was sentenced to 28 months. After sentencing, DCI Brian Kearney gave a statement outside the court. I continue to keep an open mind as to why Gerald was targeted, but clearly as outlined by Peter Rouch QC, someone wanted Gerald Corrigan dead. This is clearly in a wider context that the victim Gerald was a source of potential grief to local criminality. If anyone has any information regarding this, please feel free to contact me in the strictest confidence. So where are we now? During the trial, jurors at Mould Crown Court heard that Terence Wall, who was now a convicted murderer, travelled to Richard Wynne Lewis's home. In evidence not heard by the court until after the verdict, a garrote made from some piano wire was found in Wall's car by police and among his Google search history was central nervous system neck injury. Several news outlets, including the BBC and The Sun, 
have suggested that Terence Wall intended to harm Richard Wynne Lewis. Throughout the court proceedings, it was mentioned several times that Marie Bailey and Gerald Corrigan may have been the victims of fraudulent activity. Fraud investigation by the North Wales Police was running in parallel with the murder inquiry and a case file had been handed to the Crown Prosecution Service for review. The name of one person, Richard Wynne Lewis, was raised on an almost daily basis. Fourteen years earlier, Lewis was sentenced to eight months in prison for insurance fraud. Admitting to one charge of deception and one of attempted fraud, he said that he succumbed to temptation after falsely claiming that a horse box and two horses were stolen. Richard Wynne Lewis was arrested in connection with the murder of Gerald Corrigan and for fraud, although he was released without charge. He was contacted by a reporter for the BBC. However, Lewis denied that he had anything to do with the murder. He said he was shocked to learn that the man he had called a friend for many years was dead. Some news articles suggest there are three potential suspects in the fraud case. However, at the time of this recording, no further information regarding a future prosecution is available. It may be that the exact reason behind Gerald Corrigan's murder is yet to be revealed. Terence Wall will be eligible for parole during February 2051. At Terence Wall's sentencing hearing, Marie Bailey gave a moving statement in which she spoke of how her life was now a living hell without her partner by her side. Describing Gerald Corrigan, she said, He was quick-witted and the best person to have around and had a story for every occasion. I miss him so much. He was my love. Both of Gerald's adult children had their victim impact statements read in court. Speaking about his father, Gerald's son Neil wrote, People say I will always miss him. For the moment, every time I see an elderly man with white hair, I wish it was my father. Neil's sister Fiona went on to say, The worst thing of all is knowing that I won't ever get to hug my dad again. Thank you for listening. A very special thank you goes out to our new Patreon producer, Daniel Leake, and everyone who supports us through Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. 
the social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.